For those of you reading scripture, just back up a couple verses. I just want to read the introduction. To God's elect, strangers in the world. You feel like you're not at home sometimes in this world? There's a reason for that. Verses 3 through 9. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the great mercy he has given us, new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an, an, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Bless this reading, Lord, of your inerrant word. Amen. What a passage of scripture. And what a day today as we started out really early in the morning. There were some of us that gathered up in the youth room, quite a few. Wonderful uh, service led by the youth. And Sam Carlson gave the, the message. I think we're going to have Sam uh, speak again. I really appreciate that, Sam. Where are you? There he is, right down there. There's a good word, Sam. And then uh, we have our bellies full of pancakes and, and are all sugared up, ready to go here. So Easter was the greatest event that has ever happened. I mean, we celebrate Easter every Sunday, don't we? First day of the week, the victory that he's given us over death, over sin, over Satan, and his presence. I mean, it's the focal point of history because it's his story. And all of history is divided, right, into A.D. and B.C. because of this event. What makes it so special? Why is it such a big deal? Why will over a billion people celebrate Easter, or more accurately, Resurrection Day? I mean, the resurrection is so important. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, you know, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, he said this, your preaching is useless. He said, your faith is futile. The apostles were a bunch of liars, and you're still in your sins. And those who have died in Christ, they're lost. And Christians are to be pitied if Christ didn't rise from the dead. We might, well, we might as well just go home and eat chocolate Easter bunnies and look for eggs and just shut the doors of the church if Christ 
didn't rise from the dead. The resurrection proved who Jesus was, and Jesus made some outrageous claims when he was here on earth. He said things like, I'm God. If you've seen me, you've seen God. Things like, I'm the only way to heaven. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And then he said, I'm going to prove that. I'm going to prove that what I said was true by letting them crucify me on the cross, and I'm going to die for your sin. And then three days later, I'm going to raise myself back to life. And that's exactly what he did. He came back to life, and he walked around the streets of Jerusalem for a while, and people said, he's back, right? And the big issue, though, is so what? What are the implications for me 2,000 years later in Fargo, North Dakota? I mean, why should I even care? The Bible says there are some wonderful benefits from what happened at the cross in the empty tomb some 2,000 years ago. Uh, one of the verses that uh, Brother Jim just read, 1 Peter 1, 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope. It's a great expectation because Jesus rose from the dead. In other words, you know, it's good news. It's the gospel. Why? Because now we can know God's purpose for our lives and we can know God's power in our lives. First of all, you can know God's purpose. Number one, God has a purpose for my life. I mean, we can know God's purpose and his plan, his reason for making us. God has never made anything that didn't have a purpose. I mean, you see a tree, and there's a purpose for it. You see an animal, there's a purpose for it. The very fact that you're alive means that God had a purpose in making you, in creating you. And I don't care what the circumstances were around your birth. Your parents may have not planned you. By the way, you should see that movie, Unplanned. Your parents may not have planned you. But you know what? God did. God planned you. And God knew just who would get together to form just the right genes to make you. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's poem. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So the Bible says that you were put on this earth for a purpose. He made you for a reason. Even before you were born, God designed you. And if you don't get anything else today, you were made by God and you were made for God. And until you understand that, life really is going to make that much sense. You see, life doesn't make sense without God. I mean, if there's no God, if you're just a freak, you know, random accident, then your life really doesn't matter. You are worth nothing. You have no value. And if you die on the way home from church today, too bad. But it's really not going to matter anyway. The Bible says exactly the opposite. God thought you up. Before you were born. He made you for a purpose. He created you for a reason. You were created with a God-shaped hole in your heart. And I tell you what, nothing else can fill that hole except a relationship with God. The Bible says eternity is in our hearts. And we try to fill the emptiness in our heart with other things. You know, we try possessions. You know, if we just get a certain amount of money, then we're going to be happy. Or we try with popularity. If I can just get enough people to like me, then I'm going to be happy. And we try pleasure. If I can just travel around the world and experience, you know, all these different thrills and get high and do certain things, then I'll be happy and I'll be fulfilled and I'll be satisfied. Or we, we try other people. You know, if I just get married and, and this person, this person will meet all of my needs. But you know what? There's no person who can meet all your needs. Only God can do that. And so many relationships break up and you try to make other people do what only God 
can really do in your life. And there's that hole in your soul. And when we try to fill it with anything else, it just doesn't fit. Most of us uh, spend our lives pretending that things, you know, are better than they really are. You know, we're pretty good at that. We pretend that maybe we're more successful than we really are. And we pretend that we're happier than we really are. And I mean, if you ever want to see a bunch of unhappy people, maybe just go to happy hour. You know, only really down people go to happy hours. They're desperately trying to appear happy. But you know what? They're not happy. And we try to pretend that our marriage is more fulfilling than it really is. And then that inevitable crisis comes along and puts a little crack in that wall of denial. And we're trying to pretend that it's, it's all so great. And our life is wonderful when it's not. And these feelings just kind of bubble up. Feelings of dissatisfaction. Feelings of despair and disappointment. And we don't like those feelings. And we very hurriedly try to patch over the crack in our lives. And we don't want to admit that life just hasn't turned out the way we wished it had. Life without purpose is really life without meaning. It's activity without direction. It's life without knowing God's purpose. And it's, it's what I call trivial pursuit. It's petty. It's pointless. You were made to know God. You were made to know his purpose. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know it's uh, directly referring to Israel, but I think we can apply it to our lives, being grafted into Israel. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And then Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good. Uh, to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. What kind of plans does God have for your life? He's got some good plans for you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Some people think God is some kind of this, you know, cosmic grouch. You know, sitting up there in the sky, just waiting to smack you upside the head, right? Waiting to pounce. One wrong move and just splat, right? But the fact is, God says, I've got some plans for you. I love you. I've got a purpose for you. And they're good plans. And God knows what will fulfill you more than you do. He has a plan for your life. Not always an easy plan. And not always a comfortable plan. But he's got a plan for you. There's only one problem. We make our own plans. And God says, here, I have this purpose for your life. And we say, you know, thank you, God, but I'm already busy. I got my own plans, and I've got my own goals, and I got my own dreams, and I got my own ambitions. You know, thank you, but no thanks. We go out trying to fulfill our own plans in life, which inevitably causes all kinds of problems. And I think the main reason for problems in your life is you're following your own plans rather than God's plan. It just doesn't fit. It's going against the grain. And anytime you, you know, I try to do my plans instead of God's plan, I have insecurity. I have a fear of failure. I have depression. Sometimes I got boredom. I got guilt. I got resentment. I certainly have stress. I'm not being what I was made to be. I mean, if you use a pencil as a screwdriver, you know, it puts stress on the pencil. And it just doesn't work. And when you're not being what God meant for you to be, it causes all kinds of stress. So how do I discover my purpose in life? How do I discover what God put me on earth for? And that's kind of why we have church. And I think there are really three alternatives. You know, if you want to know your purpose in life, if you want to know why God put you on this earth, you have three alternatives. Number one, 
You could consult a human expert like Jerry Springer or Oprah Winfrey, you know, and ask, uh, what do you think my purpose in life is? And you're probably not going to get a reliable answer. Uh, Second, the second alternative, even more popular way uh, that it's in all kinds of books and novels and movies, it says, look within yourself. Look within yourself. I mean, uh, I think the great theologian Pocahontas said that. Look within yourself. You know, I don't know about you, but when I've had a major problem and tried to look within myself, I really didn't find an answer. I found more problems. And if the answer was in you, you would have had the problem solved a long time ago. That one doesn't work. I mean, I think all that is is like new age nonsense. And it sounds so great. Look within yourself. You don't have the answers and you know it. The third alternative is God. It's Jesus Christ. It's the Bible. There's only one place you can look, and that's to look to God, to look to your creator, to look to your maker, to look to your redeemer, to read the owner's manual. That's a whole lot more reliable. You say, Dave, what about that old Da Vinci Code that came out about 10, 15 years ago? What about this new thing about Judas? They say, maybe he was a good guy. Hey, you know, the trustworthiness and the reliability and the truthfulness of the Bible has been under attack for a long, long time. And many United Methodists are attacking the Bible even this day. Many skeptics have attacked the Bible. Many skeptics have attacked the Bible through history. The skeptics are dead. The skeptics are dead. God's word is still around. And I tell you what, it's like shooting peas at the rock of Gibraltar. And someday, we're going to stand before God Almighty, and we're going to realize that Jesus Christ is alive, and that God is real, and everything that's written in the Bible is true. Every word of God is flawless. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. I think Corey Tinboom said this. My wife has it in her sewing room. Look within and be depressed. Look around and be distressed. Look above and be at rest. So you can consult a human expert. You can look within. You can look outside yourself to God, to the Bible, to Jesus Christ, who is risen from the dead, standing at your heart's door, seeking an entrance. And you will only discover who you are when you finally discover whose you are. You are made by God and for God, and until you understand that life will never make sense. You need to have a personal encounter with Jesus, the one who died for you, the one who is risen from the dead. And when you meet him, when you discover who he is and what he's done and what he wants from from you. And when you commit your life to him, you'll never be the same again. I've asked Kevin uh, Eastland, where is he? There he is. Kevin, it's almost time. You know, I've asked Kevin to share a little testimony. You know, but when you meet Jesus, I tell you, when you meet Jesus, he changes your life. Amen? Can you say amen? Yeah, it's like grabbing a 220-volt wire. You're never going to be the same again. A few months ago, 
Kevin uh, shared some of his story at a staff parish relations meeting, and I was so touched by his story, and I wanted you to hear it. Kevin, you come on up here. You need to tell these folks some of your story and talk into the microphone so they can hear you. God bless you, Kevin. Lord, I thank you for this man. I thank you for Kevin. I thank you that you have uh, touched his life, and he said an everlasting yes to you. I thank you for his story. Use it, Lord, to touch our hearts in your name. Amen. All right. This is a story of God's never-ending, relentless pursuit of each and every one of us. It is my dad's story of salvation. I first need to tell you a little bit about my dad. Van Eason was a fiercely independent man who relied only on himself for most of his life. He was very stubborn. It was Van's way or the highway, as he used to like to say. If he did not want to do something, there was nothing he could do or say to make him do it. There was no compromising. He believed that God existed but never gave him over, gave himself over to him, or gave him much thought that I know of. Doing so would mean that he was not in control. But his life was a shining example of how God is always with us, even if my dad never saw it. At age 17, he joined the Navy and served two tours in Vietnam, receiving two Purple Hearts. During his second tour of duty, he was shot 18 times and spent six months in the San Diego Naval Hospital sewed up with stainless steel wire. When he returned home, he had huge scars all over his body. He had a heart attack in his early 40s. He had two major strokes. He had kidney cancer, which required removal of a kidney and chemotherapy. He then had bladder cancer, which required surgery and more chemo. And there are many more times than I can even count that God was with him and kept him safe. I always told him that God must have a plan for you, Dad. I'm not sure what it is, but he has kept you safe and been with you through all these things. He always laughed, not in a mean way, but in a yeah, whatever kind of way. Now, my stepmom, Jeannie, is a woman of very strong faith. She had tried for years, along with her mom, to get my dad to accept Christ. But he always put up walls and shut down whenever they tried to talk to him. And I knew that I could not make him do it. Faith is a personal journey. So we prayed for him and prayed that God would soften his heart. He started getting sick at the beginning of February of this year. He went to the clinic, and at first they thought it was bronchitis, so they sent him home with antibiotics. Things didn't get better, and he was getting weaker, so he went back in on February 11th. They thought it may have turned to pneumonia, so they admitted him and started doing some tests to see what was going on. Around 3 p.m. on Wednesday, February 13th, my stepmom called and said it looked like he was doing a little better. They had taken some fluids from his lungs, and they were testing some nodules they had found. Not saying it was cancer, but they wanted to check it out. She said they would let us know the next day what the results were. She called me back less than an hour later. She had gotten a call from the oncologist. It was cancer. It was stage 4 lung cancer that had spread to his lymph nodes, and there was a tumor eating away the ribs on his right side. I asked her what the plan for treatment was, and she said there wasn't one. It was terminal. Not something you're ever prepared to hear. At the end of that conversation, my stepmom pleaded with me to talk to my dad and make him accept Christ. Her biggest fear was that he would not accept Christ and she would never see him again after he died. I told her that I would talk to him on Saturday when Missy and I were going to go down to see him, knowing full well that I would not be able to make my dad do anything he didn't want to do. 
I'm a children's leader in, uh, in Bible Study Fellowship, and we have leaders meeting Saturday mornings. Our plan was to leave when I was done. During the meeting, um, I shared what was going on, and I asked them to pray for my dad and my family. I asked not for prayers of healing, because I just knew that wasn't going to happen. But I prayed for my dad's salvation and that God would soften his heart. On my way out the door to pick up Missy, one of the leaders gave me an Are You Sure pamphlet. It's a little book that talks about how to ask God into your life and, to, and how to accept him if you're not sure how to do it. Now, Missy has done BSF for about 10 years now, and I've seen a million of these around our house, but I had never read one. So her and I went through it and read it on the way down to see my dad. When we got to the hospital, we got to the hospital to find out that in a few hours he was going to be moved to a nursing home because he wasn't going to have any treatment. So the first hour, the room was crowded and busy getting him ready to go. But it finally calmed down, and it was just Missy, Jeannie, my dad, and I in the room. He could talk, but his speech was becoming a big challenge for him. The cancer was magnifying the effects of his strokes. His speech and strength on his right side was really affected. But he was able to sit up on the edge of the bed and pat the spot next to him and ask me to come sit with him. So I did, and I put my arm around him. Then Jeannie said, Missy, Kevin, and I want you to do something. Not good with my dad. My first thought was, oh, no, this is not the way to do this. And I was not sure how this was going to go. But then she added, but it's something that you have to want to do. We can't make you. She asked him, are you ready to accept Jesus as your savior? Savior. As clear as a bell, he said, I am. And Jeannie said, okay, Kevin, we'll tell you how. So <laughs> not much pressure there at all. And I'm so glad that we had read the Are You Sure pamphlet on the way up. He then folded his hands and bowed his head, something I'd never seen him do. He looked up to me and whispered, how do I do it? Here beside me sat a once proud, independent man who did not have all the answers anymore, who was humbled and broken before God. He finally knew he was not in control. Van's way was not going to work anymore. It was God's way going forward. So I prayed and said that my dad can't talk very well, but I would ask him the questions and he would respond. I asked him, do you confess your sins to God, asking for his forgiveness, knowing that because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that your sins would be washed clean. He said, yes, I do. I then asked, do you accept Jesus Christ as your personal savior? And in doing so, knowing that you have a place at God's table in heaven through his sacrifice. He said, yes, I do. He then opened his eyes, turned to me and smiled. And you could see the peace wash over him. I told him that God had been knocking on his door for a very long time. And he finally let him in. It was the most pure, honest, and sincere thing I ever saw my dad do. And it's the most precious memory I have of him. They transferred him to the nursing home shortly after that, and he was never the same. He went downhill really quickly. Four days later, he was gone. I think it was the last thing he had to do, and when he was done, he was ready to go. I'm still grieving for my dad. I miss him terribly. But what happened that day changed my grief. I now have the hope and guarantee that I will see him again. I said at his eulogy that this was not goodbye, but it's see you later. And that brings me more comfort than I could ever explain. It will be hard to go on without him, but I know he's in a better place waiting for me.
So for those of you who have people or loved ones in your life that have not accepted Christ, have faith that God never gives up on them. He will fight for them till the very end. It is never too late. So don't give up on them. Continue to pray for them and talk to them about Christ and salvation. Trust that he can do miracles in their lives like he did for my dad. And for those that are unsure of your faith, God is waiting for you. You are precious to him. When you hear him knocking at your door, open it and let him in. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Lord, we just thank you for the way you work. and Lord, that it is never too late. It wasn't too late for that thief on the cross. You said today you'll be with me in paradise. And Lord, I just pray for people here today that might not be sure of their salvation, God, that this would be the day I ask this in your name. Amen. So finding your purpose in Christ and finding yourself in Christ, that's important, but that's not all. You not only need a purpose to live for, you need power to live on. God not only has a purpose for my life, God has power for my life. And Ephesians 1, it says the same power that raised Christ from the dead is available to each and every one of us. And the reason you need power to live on is because life is tough. You know, nobody... Uh, coast through life. Nobody has it easy all the way through life. I mean, there are always bumps and bends in the road, and you, you don't put your life on autopilot and kind of cruise through it. It takes some energy. It takes some effort and stamina. It takes power, and you need a power to live on and a purpose to live for. And there are two kinds of power you need in life. You need power to control things and the energy to get through things. Your personal power probably peaked the first month of your life. <laughs> At that point, the entire world revolved around you, and you weren't even fully aware of it, but anytime you made a little whimper in the first month of your life, all these big adults came, and they rallied to your attention, and you were fed, and you were burped, and you were changed, and you were cuddled and rocked, and you were given attention, and in your infantile mind, you figured out, you know, hey, this works. <laughs> when I cry, I get attention. That's called power. And as you grew up, two things changed, two very awful things changed. One, the world got harder. And two, people stopped paying attention to your whimpering. And part of growing up is realizing how much of your life is really out of your control. But human nature wants to control things anyway, and we try to control the uncontrollable all in our own power. And, and how do you know when you're doing that? Well, you're tired all the time. You're fatigued all the time. You get emotional fatigue, physical fatigue, spiritual fatigue. It's interesting in our culture, since we like to control things in America, the terminology we come up with for this chronic power shortage in our lives, this personal energy crisis, we say, well, I'm all worn out. I'm just played out. I'm stressed out, burned out. I'm run down. I'm used up. I'm bushed. I'm exhausted. I'm frazzled. I'm burned out. I'm run down. I'm used up. I'm, I'm bone weary, I'm dead tired, I'm on my last leg. I'm at the end of my rope, I'm about to come unglued, I'm ready to throw in the towel. Regardless of the phrase you use, I think it represents a power shortage. And why did God make life so tough? So we would depend on him. So we'd learn to trust in Jesus. 
Jesus has all the power you need. Jesus demonstrated that he was God by showing his power while he was here on earth. He healed the sick. He has power over illness. He stilled the storm. He has power over nature. He brought himself back to life. That's ultimately power over death. The good news is this. He says, I'm going to offer you the same kind of power if you'll get in right relationship with me. And the Bible says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you and me, and it's all wrapped up in the person, Jesus Christ. Power and purpose come from a person, Jesus Christ. And what kind of power does Jesus Christ offer you? He offers you the power to change your life, the power to change the unchangeable, those things that you'd like to change about yourself but you really can't. You've tried, but you can't. You know, you got habits, you got hang-ups, you got hurts that just keep messing up your life, and he gives you the power to let go of guilt, to let go of grief, the power to let go of grudges, you know, that keep you stuck in the past and keep you from getting on with your life. He gives you the power to forgive yourself and the power to forgive others. He gives you the power to start over when you've really made a mess of your life and you feel like you failed. He gives you the power to keep on going when you're discouraged and you think, you know, I just can't take another step. And he gives you the power to become what you were always meant to be in the first place. That kind of power is available. Look at these promises. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. Colossians 1.11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you might have great endurance and patience. In other words, he not only gives you starting power, he gives you some sticking power. And then Isaiah 40, 28 to 31, do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary, and he increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those whose hope is in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles, they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. You know, if you're tired, you just need to get plugged into the source. You know? Of course you're tired. You've been trying to handle life all on your own power. No wonder. How do you get that power? By beginning and developing a relationship with Jesus Christ. One of the great themes of the Bible is this. God made you to love you. You were made as an object of his love. He is passionately in love with you. He's head over heels about you. One guy wrote a book called Crazy Love. He's just crazy about you. God made you to have a relationship with you. And it's just mind-boggling that the creator of the universe would want to have a relationship with me. But he does. And that's why he sent Jesus Christ, so he could die for my sins, so I could see what he's like and get to know him and relate to him. So how do you get to know God? Not through religion. Not through rituals, not through regulations, and not through rules. You get to know God through relationship, a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I tell you what, that is what the resurrection is all about. First Timothy 6, 20 and 21 says, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some of you have professed in so doing, have wandered from the faith. Another version puts it this way. Some people have missed the most important thing in life. They don't know God. And Kevin's dad only almost missed it. 
And Jesus prayed to the Father in John 17. Now this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You know, if you don't know God, and I'm not talking about knowing about God. You may have learned a lot about God as a little kid, maybe in catechism, confirmation, Sunday school, or, you know, if you're a Jewish background, synagogue, whatever you learned about God. But do you really know him? You see, I know about Tiger Woods. Yeah, he just won the, the Masters. I know about Donald Trump. He's our president. But I don't know them. I don't have a relationship with them. And God wants to know you, and he wants you to know him. And when you get to know Christ, you will have purpose in your life, and you'll have power to live on. We all know about the Titanic, don't we? That unsinkable ship that sunk in the icy waters of the Atlantic Ocean. Even a movie was made about the Titanic, uh, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. And on the Titanic, there were a number of different distinctions. There were immigrants, and there were non-immigrants, and there were rich, and there were the poor. There were famous and not so famous. But when the Titanic did sink, in the newspapers all around the world, they just printed two columns side by side. And those were the only distinctions that really mattered. And it said, those known to be saved and those known to be lost. And these are eternal categories, saved and lost. Which list is your name under? Somebody said to me that the Titanic, it's a metaphor of the inevitability of death. We're all on the Titanic. We think we're unsinkable. You know, I don't know if you've checked recently, but the mortality rate in America is 100%. You know, we're all going to die at some time, just in different times. My mom just died December 27th this past year. And when somebody tells me he's terminal, I just say, hey, we're all terminal. Only a fool would go through life totally unprepared for something you know is going to happen. And one day you're going to stand before God and your life is going to end. And he's going to say, did you get to know my son Jesus? Did you repent of your sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Did you receive him into your life? Did you accept him? Did you trust his work on the cross and not your own good works to put you in right relationship with me? And on that day, the only categories that are going to matter are those known to be saved and those known to be lost. Did Christ save you or were you lost without Christ? One day you're going to stand before God and it's not going to be a matter of whether you're rich or poor, whether you're educated or uneducated, or whether you're famous or not so famous. The bottom line is 1 John chapter 5. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life and he who does not have the son of God does not have life. So do you have the son? Jesus came to earth to live that life that you can't live and to die the death that you cannot die. And he is our substitute. He's our Passover lamb. He's our redemption. And he paid the awesome price for your soul. And the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And Jesus, the perfect lamb of God, shed his innocent blood for each and every one of you. Every drop was squeezed out of him for you. And he gave his life for you. And he spent it all for you to forgive you and to give you a purpose and a power and eventually even a place in heaven. And God wants you to learn to love him like he loves you.
God wants you to learn to trust him. And in order to do that, you've got to know him. Have you ever cried out to Jesus, Jesus, I want to know you. Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. Jesus, I believe you died for me. You rose from the dead. And today, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you're seeking an entrance into my heart. And the Bible says, whoever, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Those known to be saved, those known to be lost, there is no middle ground. It's like being pregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not. You're either saved or you're lost. You either have Christ or you don't. Where's your name, saved or lost? You know, in a, in a crowd this size, you know, Easter Sunday, I can almost guarantee you that every problem known to man is represented here. I'm certain that there are some people here today, maybe you're right in the middle of some kind of marriage trouble, maybe separation, maybe divorce. I'm certain that some of you have just buried a loved one. I know we just did. Kevin just did. The grave is still fresh. And the grief is still there. There are others having problems with their kids. There are others who would like to get married, and there's this ache in their heart that's loneliness, and it just hasn't happened. And I know there are people here who are going through financial problems, and I know people who are facing health problems. The test hasn't come back, and I think some of you are just scared to death. And I know people who are questioning, what am I going to do about my career? You know, should I go to this school or that school? Where am I supposed to live? Should I move? There are people here dealing with stress and guilt and grief, and there are people hiding things here. You are hiding things that you are ashamed of. I have no doubt about that. But I want you to know that Jesus, he cares about all that kind of stuff. He really does. But all that stuff is nothing compared to eternity. Saved, lost. Heaven, hell. Five seconds after you die, where will you be? Jesus is saying, you know what? If you just put me first, if you would just quit going your own way, and if you would come my way, if you would just fall in love with me, if you just seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, I'll take care of all that other stuff. I'll give you purpose. I'll give you power. And ultimately, I'll give you a place in heaven. There will always be problems. There will always be pressures. I mean, that's a promise from Jesus, trials and tribulations. In this world, Jesus said, you're going to have some tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Jesus, hope of the nations, we would sing. Not only is Jesus the hope of the nations, he's your only hope. He's your only hope. Would you bow with me in prayer? Is today going to be the day for you? Just picture in your mind, five years from now, maybe you're at a coffee shop or a bison game. When there's a break in the action, the person you're with asks you, what circumstances or events led you to faith in Christ? And maybe you'll say, you know, it was at a Sunday service Easter morning at Calvary Church, April 21st, 2019, that I started to get serious with God. And I didn't really change overnight, but as I look back, I can see my attitudes and actions have changed, and my hunger for the Word of God has increased, and my love for God is growing, and I've noticed that I have purpose, and I have a power I never had before in spite of circumstances. Wouldn't that be something if you gave your life to Christ today? I mean, for real, 
or serious. Maybe you would like to pray in your heart a simple prayer of salvation and commitment. Something like this. You know, I'm sorry, Lord. I've been going my own way, doing my own thing. Jesus, you have not been first in my life. I've broken your perfect law. I've missed the mark. But Jesus, I understand that you love me. That you are the sinless Savior, Son of God who died on the cross for me, that you rose from the dead and you're standing at my heart's door seeking an entrance right now and you want to live in my heart through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit and I believe you are the Son of God. So please, Jesus, come into my life. Please forgive me. Please lead me. Thank you for loving me. I want to know you. I want you not only to be resident in my life but to be the president of my life. You are my only hope. In Jesus' name, amen. While they're uh, finishing up signing, let's just pray together. God, thank you. This is what Easter is all about. New life in Christ, the risen Lord, invading our hearts, taking the throne of our lives and living his life through us to do good works, not for our sake, but for your sake and for your name's sake. So I pray, God, that you would seal any commitments that have been made. Thank you, God, for your drawing power. Nobody comes to the Father unless you draw them. You have drawn people to yourself today. And I pray, Lord, that you would keep them in your strength and in your power and just give them the assurance of your salvation. Lord, through the Spirit and through the Word, in your name I pray. Amen and amen.